Somebody come help me. Ah. If you knew how good God has been to me, if I had time to tell you a life story, there it is. I got to thank this man right here in front of me, too. That, that's my pastor right there. Goodness. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I got a, my pastor, Pastor Jesse, right here. God, me, God brought me into his path 10 years ago or so, 13 years ago. Time passes so fast when you're having fun with the Lord. But... Man, I was coming out of brokenness. I was broken still. I was messed up. My mind was jacked up. I was coming out of a lifestyle, 10, 11 years, 12 years of just wrong, every kind of wrong. I mean, he's like, what is it, Pastor Nathan? I'm like, I, I want to know the gossip. Everything. Let me just tell you, jacked up. And then God brought me into the path of this man right here, Pastor Jesse Martin in, in Austin, Texas. And he's so loving, so kind, so willing to sit down with me every week and just hear my junk and not let me be me, if that makes sense. He loved me where I was, and the mission statement of Thrive Community Church came out of what this man right here did for me. He loved me right where I was, and he helped me become all God created me to be. While I was in his hands, he stewarded me so well, so well. So I got to thank you. Look at me. I got to thank you. (laughs) I got to thank you. All right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get it together. You know, I'm the, I told you last week I'm the stoic in our marriage, and here I am being the emotional one in our marriage. Come on. Somebody slap me. All right. I got to get in some humor. You'll understand the humor in a moment because I'm, I'm going to talk about that. Hey, but if you're here, this is your first time, you got like, these connect cards in the back of those chairs in front of you, and I'd love for you to fill that out, connect with us. I want to reach out to you, just see what do you think about Thrive Community Church, what is, what is, what can, how can we serve you better, what do you see that we could do better. I, I want to hear it. I, I really want to know how we can serve you, how we can make this the greatest experience for you as well as we're stewarding you to help you become all God created you to be for as long as we have the ability, the blessing to steward you well, okay? So that's what we're here. That's the culture of who we are and the path of introducing you to the real Jesus to helping you find freedom because that's what, that's what this man did to me. He introduced me to the real Jesus, not the religious Jesus. He helped me to discover what freedom even means in Christ. And then he helped me to start connecting to purpose. And that's what we want to do for you is help you to connect to purpose. Why there's a burning and desire, burning desire inside of every one of you. Why do I exist? What is my purpose in life? And we're all going to wander around aimlessly and go into and fro and in and out in frustration and out of frustration, in and frustration and, and moving through life until we discover what that purpose is, that God-given purpose is on our lives. And once you do, once you do, you will start making a difference, and that is all what we're here to do is to help you, assist you, and move you along next steps, just one next journey, one next step in your journey after the next. 
And I've got to start this by thanking every one of you who have been making Thrive Community Church what Thrive Community Church is. The excellent environment that you are creating through your servanthood, your heart, through finding freedom and find connecting to your own purpose here within the church and as you take it outside of the church, which is our whole heart of what we want to do. So I've got to thank you. I got to thank you because we are here, whether it's in here or with Pastor P, Pastor, Pastor Pina Shakivia, with the kids. We're here to partner with people who see a world how it should be, not, not as it is. They see it where it is, but as it should be through the lens of how it should be. And they're willing to give their lives and their times for something that can be and should be, but it's not. That's what we're looking to partner with. People like that, with that heart, I'm ready to see the world different than what it is. I know there's a kingdom, and I know it's real, and I know I can see it here on earth. I just want to wake that up inside of you, and I want to work with you. I want to partner with you. I want to do life with you. I want to minister with you. And maybe it won't happen overnight, but we won't stop until it starts to happen. We just won't. I, I want to celebrate last week, uh, we did a Love Thy Neighbor, we were at another church, Petersburg Baptist Church, and Love Thy Neighbor, many of you don't know, we're going to host it this month on the 27th, but we have black and white and Hispanic pastors now, churches all coming together, worshiping together, depending on the style of the house, and we're praising together. Well, Kevin and I, uh, the guy on the keyboard over here who three months ago, four months ago, didn't know how to play a keyboard, by the way, yeah, there you go. We were out celebrating, saying, man, that was so awesome. It was so good. We were the, the last two white guys out there. And then, and then there were two black guys over on the other side of the parking lot. We, and they, were, they had led the worship, and they were just getting it. I mean, they were just, one was on the organ. just They were dancing on the organ. The other guy was just playing the bass. And I'm like, man, they are rocking over there, Kevin. So we go over there, and like, this is ridiculous. We got white people over here and black people over here. Let's go over there and, and, and congratulate them on the well, job well done. Let me tell you, that the love of God just fell on that, in that parking lot, and we just started telling testimony and story, and they just started revealing their hearts, and they were so overjoyed with what God has done in their life and what Satan can no longer do against them. And then we started praying together. We were crying together. We were sitting there hugging each other. There's two white guys and two black guys out there hugging and crying with each other, and the love of God was poured out. Anybody driving by would be like, what in the world is going on in that church parking lot? But we loved it. We were having a lot of fun. So uh, it's it just, just an ama amazing time. We were praying over the racism, the prejudice, the discrimination. I mean, it was just heart to heart. And so I also want to celebrate that yesterday, uh, sadly, because of Hurricane Laura, there was you know, obviously a lot of devastation. But we partnered to give 50,000 bottles of water with Hope Springs <laughs> yesterday. Sending them over, keep those troopers trooping and doing what they're doing. So I got to tell you, remind you, on the 13th of September, we have our grand opening. We're going 9 and 1045, two services, Not 9 and 1045, September 13th. That's two weeks away. I want all of you to invite a friend and say, hey, oh, man, I'm so tired of waking up early, but I'm going to go to the 1045 service. You want to go with me? And so, you know, the, the, the people, the saints get up at 9 to go to church. They get up and go to church at 9. The world says you should go to church at 11. So I want you to grab your worldly friends and bring them to church at 1045. And you know, get, just get them a little bit spiritual. 
just before 11, 1045, we're going to meet right here in worship in two weeks, September 13th. The night before, September 12th, 530 to 730, we're going to worship. we got about an hour and a half, two hours of worship. We're just, this team's going to be just leading us and ushering in the presence of, of the Holy Spirit, getting ready for the 13th. So that's going to be on the 12th. Come in with your worship hands ready to be raised and your heart ready to be lifted unto the Lord and just be ready to move with the Holy Spirit. That's the 12th. And so today, lastly, today, right after this, if you are one of those that's like, man, I'm ready for my next steps in life. Anyway, I'm ready to be equipped. I'm ready to start doing some things to grow a little bit. We're having a Thrive Tribe. That's our small group, small group leaders and host home. If you're interested in being a part of that and doing that this semester, we're going to have a short meeting at 1045 right after this worship experience, right in our Thrive Cafe. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk you through some things and just equip you and leave you some time to have some questions. And then I'm going to call you, Mick's going to call you, and we're going to answer the questions that you have over the next two weeks, okay? Is that good? All right, good deal. I hope you got it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll, I'll give it to you another way later. So we're in our series, Transformed, and it's how God changes us. And we talk, we're talking about Romans 12 too, not be tra- be, no, to be conformed to the patterns of this world, to be transformed by the renewing of my mind. You know, when I, my mind needed to be renewed when I met Pastor Jesse, when I moved to Austin, I needed a complete renewing. I needed an overhaul. Anybody ever seen an old vehicle that's been overhauled? It was rusty and it was all junky and it had a complete overhaul. That's what I had to have. But that's what we're talking about right here because we truly do need an overhaul. We we need to learn how to grow in what God says and who he says we are, not what the world says we are, culture says we are, our mind says we are, the spirit of Satan says we are. You know, we've talked about that. We've talked about becoming healthy. Three weeks ago, we talked about having a healthy mind and thoughts. Last week, we talked about having healthy feelings, you know, taking, uh, taking uh, our emotions and, and making them subordinate to the will and the spirit of God and, and listening to him rather than our emotions. Emotions are great servants but terrible masters, right? Anybody ever just followed your emotions wherever you want to go, right? I've been there. I've been there. So we're talking today about facing the fears that ruin relationships. Anybody ever have any of those? Facing fears that ruin relationships, well, that's, that's okay because we all have some commonalities. We all have, we're very, very similar in this, in this area. So I want to I kind of take it back to creation because God, you know, as we know, God created the heaven and earth. He created the universe. He, he created it and he thought it was beautiful. And, and at some point he created, decided, I'm going to create humanity. I'm going to create humanity. I, I think he created humanity because he wanted fan, family. He longed for family. And so God created Adam, and he created Adam from the dust of the earth. Uh, so he, he created man, and man woke up. He came, came to life, and he realized, wait a minute, there's, there's animals all around because God had already created animals, and every animal has a mate. Wait a minute, why don't I have a mate? And so this thought started ruminating inside of Adam. And then Adam started realizing, wait a minute, there's something I'm missing. I think God was showing Adam what you need, the the purpose, and what you're going to need to succeed in life is relationship. So he made him long for relationship because he was able to watch everything else had relationship except for, I didn't have relationship. Now he had a relationship with the father, but he didn't have that intimacy, that one to mate with. 
And so God was showing him, here's, here's what you're going to need to succeed in life, and it's relationships. Relationships in general are what is what we're going to need to succeed. And boy, how crafty Satan begins to move in. So Adam was made from the dust of the earth, but I think, I, I think what God said was, you know what, hmm, this is good, but I can do better. And so, and so he made woman. He, 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 took, he took and he made woman, and, and woman was not made from dust. You know, that's why men don't mind getting dirty and we get in the ground and we get we're like kittling around in the dirt like my son. My daughter, mm-mm, she's not going to go play in the dirt. She's not going to do all those things. She'll play with Legos. She'll play with dolls. She'll play with anything like that. But, but Nathan, little Nathan, he goes out. He's wanting to walk into the pond. He's jumping out. He's wanting to play in the dirt. He's wanting to go wrestle the goats. He, <laughs> he gets wrestled by the goats rather than, any, rather than that. So he, he's from dirt. He's like, I, I, I love dirt. I want to play in dirt. But woman was taken from the rib of Adam. And so what happens is God laid Adam down, and he knocked him out in the spirit. <laughs> and, he, and he takes a rib from Adam, and he, he creates woman, and, and Adam wakes up, and he's never seen a naked woman. He wakes up, and he sees woman in all of her glory. You know what I mean? And he's like, whoa, man. Whoa, man, man, whoa, whoa, man, whoa, man, woman, woman. And so, so we have woman, <laughs> woman, all of a sudden, like, woman, wow. So, and so you have, guys, you know what I'm talking about, whoa, you know, <laughs> and so, woman. And so, but you notice God didn't take, God didn't take Adam or Eve from Adam's heel. So that he would lord over her. And he didn't take Eve from Adam's head. So that she would lord over him. No, she, he, took, he took Eve from Adam's rib next to his heart. So that they would be in partnership, in relationship, in safety and in security. In a place of unity. As they moved and they went through and they chose life. And they, they tilled the garden that God was perfect. Remember, it was a perfect place. Everything, there was no sin in there. And no disobedience had taken place. And so that they would walk in unity and, and flow together and all these things would just happen as they were doing life. And things were great for a while. Remember, there's no sin, no jealousy, no manipulation, no control, no, no sense of dominance, no lying. Of course, none of that happens in any of your relationships either. But it, it, but it was just like it is in your home. Hmm. What? Exactly. Exactly. So Satan comes and he deceives Eve and he convinces her that if she eats from the, free, the, the forbidden fruit, the forbidden tree, she'll be like God. And in fact, temptation comes down to that, right? That being the God of your life and doing and living your own way. Isn't that what, because there's a desire in there and temptation is only, there's only temptation because there's some kind of desire. And we all have a desire to lead our own lives our own way until we come to that point where we're willing to submit to God's way. And painfully, hopefully, we all get there at some point. But he says, no, he says this, he says, you eat from this fruit and this tree and you will be like God. And that is like, wow, I really want to do that. You know, 
Satan is two things at the same time. He is the greatest grace preacher you will ever hear. He's like, no, you can do that. Don't worry. God's so love. He is so much love. He will forgive you. It's not a big deal. He's all about Satan will teach you grace. He will have you over the grace. Don't worry about sin. Don't worry about anything his word says. It's okay. If God is a God of love, he's going to forgive you no matter what. And as soon as you do, he turns into the legal preacher. He's like, I can't believe you did that. Look at you. You're the scum of the earth. How can you think that God will ever forgive you or love you again? That's the same person with two voices preaching two different styles at the same time. You've heard him. He lives in your head sometimes. He's got you doing some things like, what did I do? Why did I do that? What was I thinking? So Genesis 3, we're going to pick up the story. That's, that's the Nathan version. It's not message. It's the, it's the wholly inspired by Nathan version of the, first, the beginning of Genesis. Genesis 3, 6 is where we're going to pick it up. and says, so Eve ate some of the fruit. Then she also gave some to her husband, Adam, who was with her, and he ate it. Immediately her, their eyes were opened. But And they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. Now, shame had never been experienced until this moment of disobedience, right? Let's go on. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. Then they heard the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from God among the trees. Well, look at there. Now, there's shame once again. They're hiding themselves from God. But God called out to Adam, and where are you? Adam replied, I heard you coming, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Then God asked, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And there it is. Now they, were, they felt fear as a response to their lack of trust in God. Fear as a response to their lack, and trust, lack of trust in God. Adam said, you gave me this woman, and she gave me the fruit, so I ate it. Then God said to Eve, why did you do, why did you do this? Do this? Eve replied, the serpent deceived me, and I ate it. She, ladies, here's the deal. Now, shame, fear, and blame are in the garden. Shame, fear, and blame enter in, and then watch this. So God said to Eve, because you disobeyed me, you'll have greater trouble in pregnancy and great pain in childbirth. See, ladies, you can thank Eve for that. And then this, and though you'll desire your husband, he's going to lord it over you. Oof. So you'll desire him is what he's saying. You're going to have a great desire for him, but he's going to want to lord over you. There's going to be a struggle for who's leading your family. And that's all because of these decisions of disobedience. Then God said to, to Adam, because you also disobeyed me and sinned with your wife, the ground you work is now cursed. And though you'll get to, to eat what you planted, your fields will, be, will have weeds and thorns and thistles. So for you guys and, and ladies, whenever you're out there tilling your garden, you're working your garden, you're out there working your nice little landscaping, and those little weeds are coming up, and you're on your hands and knees picking each one, Eve, Adam, I can't believe you. It, it, it's all Adam. You can, you can talk and think about the creation story. Think about how Eve and, and Adam, you have somebody to blame in your garden. You don't have to be ashamed. You don't have to be afraid of picking those. It's not your fault. You know, blame, shame, and fear, all just, just keep it in the garden right there. And, and, for your, and for the rest of your life, you'll have to sweat 
and work hard. It must have been really nice and easy. Nobody ever sweat. It's like being in here, just kind of air-conditioned and resting all the time. That must have been really nice. Work hard to get your food until you yourself are returned to the dirt that I used to create you. Man, there are a ton of truths, and there are many different directions we could go with this little gap, this passage right here. But today we're going to focus on three relational truths. There's three fundamental fears that pop up in every relationship, no matter how long that live, long lived that relationship is, and no matter who that relationship is with, there are three fundamental fears that will always exist, that will always emerge, they will rise up until you learn how to surrender those to God and offer a different solution into that relationship. So let me give you three truths about relational fears. Number one is this. My fear of exposure makes me distant. My fear of exposure. My fear of, of, of being vulnerable and wide open. You know, think about this. How come I don't have that deep soul connection with my spouse? How come my relationship has never gone beyond this point with my spouse? Or this point with my friends? How come I don't have those deep soul brother relationships or soul sister relationships where it doesn't matter what's going on. We can tear it all open and say, hey, look what's going on inside of me, what I'm wrestling with, what I'm struggling with, what I'm dealing with. Why can't I have those type of relationships? The reality is this. You don't like what's going on inside of you. So you are unwilling to open up to show others what's going on inside of you. Your fear is that if you open up and you get transparent and you get hot, honest, open, and transparent, you know, I like hot people. Because they're honest, they're open, and they're transparent, and they're like, you know what? No shame, no guilt, no fears. I'm just ready to, I'm ready for change. I'm ready, I need some help. Help a brother out, help a sister out. Because because there's things inside of you that you feel if someone knew what you had done or knew what you had been through, whether you did it or not, it was done to you, that you might get, they, those things might be rejected and in essence, you too would be rejected because of those things. So that fear of that rejection and that exposure that comes along with it, the fear keeps you distanced from being in relationship and friendship and open communication with others. And the fear that others might reject you and what you've done, you just start to say, no, you get to a certain point. There's a cycle in your friendships. There's a cycle in your marriage. When you get to this point, it's like, nope, we've gone close enough. We're going to back away and we're going to start creating some distance in our relationship or no, bro, we're not going any further than this right here. Let's look at this a little bit closer. Genesis 3, 9, and 10 says this. God called Adam. Why are you hiding? Adam said, I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Now, God wasn't asking for his own benefit. God wasn't saying, hey, where'd you go, Adam? Where are you? No, God knew exactly where he was. He was asking Adam for his benefit. He was asking Adam so that he would own up. He would be a man. He would own up and fess up and confess what he had done and why he had done it. So Adam would come clean that he was running and hiding. Why? Because of his shame. So God was giving him a way out, saying, hey, where are you at? Why are you hiding? 
but he would come clean to just confess, yeah, here's what I've done, God, here's where I'm at. And any transformation in any area of your, area of your life, including relationships, only happens when you own up to the fact that what is shouldn't be. What's going on in my relationship and how the status of my relationship is, it shouldn't be. And until you get to that it shouldn't be, it ought not be, there won't be any healing, there won't be any freedom, there won't be depth, there won't be soul connection, there won't be any more outside of the, bro- the cycle, it won't break that cycle to go into new heights and new depths in your relationship. I have a great marriage, everything's good. Now with that attitude, you're never going to have a really great marriage. I have a, a funny story, a church I was at before, uh, after, after Austin, we were doing a marriage conference, and friends of mine from Romania were there, and they, were, they, were, they, we, they made us score our marriage. And from a 1 to 10, you had to score your marriage. And the guy scored an 8, and, and then the girl, the, the wife scored a 5, and then they switched, and he, he's like, 5? What? 5? Like, and he's very theatrical. He's the emotionalist. He's the stoic. 5? And she goes, he, he said, I... I work two jobs, I take care of the, the family, and I know I'm good in, you know, in keeping you feel loved, if you know what I mean. And she's always like, it's a five. It's a five. <laughs> he goes, I can't believe it. I can't, I, this, this is a five. Just couldn't believe it. Until he started to realize, hey, it's a five. There was not going to be any healing, no strengthening, no, no development in his marriage. And so the, the eye opening of this is, this is it. Well, I have great friendships. I got a lot of good friendships. I got a lot of friends, but I don't have any depth in my friendships. Until you start to realize, you know what, I need some depth in my friendship. And you're always saying, well, I got great friendships. You're never really going to have great friendships. No transformation. Transformation starts when you start being honest to God and honest to yourself that my relationships are not what they could be because I was afraid because I was naked so I hid and what are you pretending is great in your marriage what are you pretending is great in your friendships what are you pretending that is not a problem in your relationships because you are afraid of facing the truth because God doesn't want you to fake it he wants you to take that mask off so you can face it he wanted to rip it off. Let's get real in this house. Let's get real in our Thrive Tribe. Let's get real in our relationships. Let's get real in our marriage. Let's get real. I was naked. And to be make, naked means I was exposed. I was vulnerable. I was unprotected. I was all out there. There was, there's nothing left in between you and in the other person when you get just get naked. And I don't mean physically naked. I mean get, get open naked in your relationships and get honest and get true and get transparent. Because you can be married for decades and keep secrets from those that are closest to you. And one of your deepest needs is to be loved and one of your deepest fears is to be seen as you really are. that fear of being known for who you really are instead of what you're perceiving yourself to be causes a depth, a, a breach, this long cavern, sunk chasm rather, between you and the person you're in relationship with. Notice the damage fear brings into a relationship. Genesis 3-7 says they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. All of a sudden, 
When you carry shame, you are easily embarrassed. Anybody ever been e- easily embarrassed? You get it easily I used to get extremely embarrassed because I didn't realize, it wasn't say because, oh, I'm so shameful. No, I didn't identify the fact that because of my getting embarrassed, man, I was carrying so much shame. I was so much shame, so ashamed of my life, so ashamed of somebody knowing what was going on in my life, so ashamed of anybody knowing what I had, what I had done. You know, I was, we, we were talking yesterday and, and talking about pride issues, and I was thinking, man, I, I didn't get to say it last night, but pride served me so well when I moved to Austin. I was so proud. I was so proud and scared that people would find out who I used to be that I would just start changing. Nope, I'm going to stop doing that. I'm going to stop doing that. I'm going to stop doing that. It was my pride served me until I could no longer do it on my own, and then God had to break me into humility because there was a point where you can't just stop doing things. You get to that cyclical point where it's like, okay, I'm trying to do all I can in my energy, but then you break. And that's the only way true, lasting change is ever going to change when it's just surrendered to the Lord. And now, Lord, I've done my part. I've done all I could do. Now I've got to get to that place where I can't do it, but you need to lift me up. You need to do this from here on out. And that's that surrender, getting transparent and open and honest. But for a little while, my pride served me really well. But when you carry shame, you're embarrassed. You'll almost do anything in the world to keep from being embarrassed, keep from being in a place where I might be embarrassed, or I might feel like somebody might see me, or anything that's going to make me feel close to that. Shame actually makes you even more self-conscious. So you're self-conscious people. Think about this. You're always thinking about yourself, or who might be seeing you, or what people might be thinking, or, or what, what's going on. And shame. Shame because of the things that you know that you've done or you know that you're thinking or you know you, you think a lie about yourself. It makes you more nervous. It, shame makes, you, makes, me actually, makes me fearful of being humiliated. Shame means I am easily mortified. And this means there are things in your life that you have not given to God and let him take away from you. That's where I got me. Finally, at some point, there's got to be a breaking. There's got to be a snapping. There's areas of your identity that need to be yielded so that you can carry his identity. When you're carrying his identity, there's no shame. There's no place for shame. You don't even understand shame anymore because you've been so unified, conformed to the image of Christ, to the mind of Christ. You're carrying his mind and you're realizing I'm walking in him and it's not about me anyway. There is no shame. You're walking in this, this, this place that, yeah, I've did all those things. I've done all those things. Satan can't hold those things against me anymore, but I am Christ. I'm in Christ. I am in the, I am in the blood and under the blood of Jesus. He has washed me from those, that shame. I am done with that. I'm no longer, I am no longer that old self. I am a new creation created in Christ Jesus. They, so they sowed fig leaves to cover up themselves. Anybody know what a fig leaf looks like? It's not very big, and it's not very comfortable either. It's got little, little, yeah. And some of us would have to wear more than just one fig leaf, by the way. <laughs> but today, but today, you know, we have much more sophisticated ways of covering ourselves up, right? Uh, I, I lean towards this in the future. Hum- I mean, in the earlier humor, you know, that class clown. That class clown can be all out there, wide open, just having fun, making sure everybody's laughing and carrying on. But when you try to get close to them, mm -mm. it's all a front. It's all a cut fig leaf. 
that's all it is. Or that person that says, you know, I got it all together. I'm looking good. I got the right glasses. I got the right sunglasses. I, I, I walk it. I walk it out. I got the right watch. I've got the right ring. I got the right hairstyle. I'm staying fresh and clean. And I'm, I, I've got the right social media look going on. You can't, I'm pristine in the social side. I've got it all. But it's all a fig leaf. It's all a fig leaf. And it's all out of fear. Then shame, then cover-up, and then distance from God. Genesis 3.8 says this, Then they hid from God among the trees. So many struggle with this deep fear of rejection that they actually reject others before they can be rejected. I used to do that. In fact, I was, I was still in that season when I went to Austin and God started transforming my life, and I had to get open so that I could be get past this sense of rejection that I was carrying. Or you start to build these relationships and you're, you create just enough indifference to keep yourself comfortable, keep yourself covered, that you're hoping that they will actually start to drift away from the relationship so that you don't have to reject them, but you can still prove yourself rejected. You can stay hidden. I'm going to get... Just close enough, but just enough indifference that maybe they will step away before I step away. That way, I don't have to reject anybody. But you're carrying rejection, carrying shame. It's a cover-up. So they fear being exposed. The fear of being exposed keeps us from distancing ourselves. But the issue with that is we don't not only distance ourselves from others. At some point, we become disconnected from God. Distance, distance, distance. Now I'm disconnected from God. We're no longer just fearing other people, but now we start fearing that we could even be loved by God because of all the stuff that we've done and we're going through or what we're thinking. I don't know how God could ever love me. Remember the legalist preacher, Satan. God does not require perfection, but he does require us to be honest. If any transformation is going to happen, it's going to happen because we were honest. Look at this. Number two is my fear of disapproval makes me defensive. My fear of disapproval makes me defensive. Now we have stopped distancing. We've stopped running. We've stopped hiding. But now we have started attacking other people. We went from hurting, I'm sorry, hurling, or hiding to hurling. No longer am I hiding behind something, but I'm going to start hurling things at you. Well, you did this, yeah, but you did this. You did this, but yeah, you did that. You did this, but yeah, you did this. You ever try to lovingly confront someone on a relational issue, and they don't hear you at all? They just start attacking you back? Start messing with marriages in a minute. Uh, (laughs) The more critical someone is, the more you know they fear disapproval. When you start to see that critical spirit start to rise up in somebody, oh, I'm sorry you feel like you're going to be disapproved of. Because that critical spirit gets loud, and it gets ugly, and it wants to dominate, it wants to take control, and if it doesn't get what it wants, it starts to criticize anything that's going on, whether it's in a family, in a relationship, or in the church. Could be in the business world, could be in the government system. It's critical because somebody feels like they might not be, may not be approved of. Genesis 3.12 says this, God asked, did you eat what I told you not to eat? Adam answered, you 
gave me this woman, and she gave me this fruit. Can you see? Adam took it like a man and blamed his wife. (laughs) And he's actually blaming God more than he's even blaming his wife. He's like, God, we were so good. We were like this. It was me and you. We got to see all these animals, and I was chilling. There was no weeds, and it was beautiful, lush, green. And it was, we were connected until you brought that woman into the picture. How dare you, God? Can't believe you would have done that to us. He's blaming, blaming. It's got to be somebody else's fault. It can't be me. And so here's, he's passing on the responsibility, and then Eve does the very same thing. Look at the next verse. Genesis 3.13. Then Eve said, hey, it's the snake. That snake tricked me into eating. Well, if he's not going to be responsible, Adam, then I'm not going to be responsible for my actions either. Why would we be accountable? Rich. My fear of disapproval makes me defensive. And when a friend or a spouse or a loved one tries to confront you, you get defensive out of your fear of disapproval. Number three is this. My fear of losing control makes me demanding. There's no demanding people in this house. My fear of losing control makes me demanding. Adam and Eve went from a very very free and systematically structured yet liberal environment to a place of chaos externally and internally. Now it's like, whoa, what's going on? I'm, oh, I didn't know I was naked. I didn't know I looked like this. I didn't know this was going Why? Wow, this, I didn't feel this shame. There was external and internal. The internal battles turned into an external war. They became very insecure. And if you're, if you're a secure individual, you're not worried about these things. The more out of control you feel, the more controlling you become. I don't know what's going on. I don't know. It's just uncomfortable. It's very uncomfortable. So everybody, everything better change for me. Start to control everybody and everything and try to bring it into your order because you just feel like you're out of control. I start defending, I start defeating, I start demanding, and I start dominating and dictating. And the more insecure you are, the greater your need is to get your own way. But if you're secure, yeah, there's, things should be in order. God is a God of order. Things should be structured. They should be excellent. They should be in a place. But when you're insecure... Everything in your whole life and all of your relationships has to come into control of what you want and how you want it, and there is no questions to be asked. But if you're a secure individual, it doesn't matter. If you're hanging out with friends, you know, we can do whatever. It's, it doesn't have to be my way. You're in your marriage, you know what? As long as it's structured, as long as they're honoring each other and we're loving each other and it's taking care of our kids, it doesn't matter. It's not a big deal. You don't have to have your own way if you're a secure individual. You know who you are. You know your identity. You know what you stand for. You know your value. And Genesis 3.16 says this, You'll have yearning for your husband, but he will lord it over you. And and the Berkeley version, version says this, He will dominate you. And the war of the sexes has begun. Anybody see the War of the Roses? Back in the 80s, 90s, something like that? All right, don't go home and watch it. The war of the sexes has begun, and all the misunderstandings between men and women, husband and wife, starts to happen. Who's going to lead? Who's going to decide? Who gets their way? Who will be right? 
the tit for a tat, and the bargaining, and the negotiating, and then here, let's do this, the manipulating, the control, the fight for control, and who's going to decide how our family lives? It's not going to be you. It's going to be me. I get to decide. I'm insecure. I need control. My way. But would you like to move from competition to cooperation? Would you might like to move from a place in your relationships, in your marriages, in your friendships, to where it's not that you're fighting against your spouse, but you're fighting with your spouse on the same side, in the same booth, sitting in the restaurant, thinking we have a common enemy, but it ain't you, it's this enemy over here. How are we going to work this out together? Would you like to move to a place where it's not about my way of us doing life, but it's about us both having an equal voice so that we can decide on the most wise and best way, better than what I might have or you might have. It is a conclusion. It is a summation of how this life, this decision, this situation can be the best for everybody. Would you like to do that? What is the antidote that relieves me from living out these three fears? The fear of exposure. The fear of disapproval. The fear of losing control, which causes me to be distant, defensive, and demanding. But there's one antidote, and there can only be one antidote, and the beauty is you don't have to do a whole lot of steps to get there. But you do have to do this. you got to learn to live in God's love. 1 John 4.18 says this, wherever God's love is, there is no fear. Because God's perfect love drives out all fear. I don't have to have my own way. It don't have to be like this. I can open up. I don't have to stay distances. I don't have to demand it. Because I just carry the love of God in my heart. You want fear out of your life, out of your school system, out of the government models, out of racism, prejudice, and discrimination. You want fear out of all of that? Just start to put love in it, the love of God. Start to carry the love of God, receive the love of God, let go of the shame and come open before him and then bring it in to that situation. Just bring it in. The opposite of fear, it's not faith, but love. Because when love comes in the front door, fear is going out the back door. There is no space for the both. Why would a mother or a father go into a burning house to get their child? Because perfect love overcomes fear. Am I, am I touching on your heart? Do you, it, mothers, fathers, you see what I'm saying? And it's the same for your marriage, your, your friendships. You need those friendships. You need those people that you can get open and honest. Sometimes those deep friendships actually save your marriage. Because you've got somebody to share some things with, to be honest with. 1 John 4, 18b says this, It is the thought of punishment, a negative consequence, that makes a person fearful. How many times have you been afraid to speak up because of the idea of a consequence? How many times have you been, uh, fe- you've been, have you feared stepping up and saying something into a conversation because of the fear of the consequence, the idea of the consequence? How many times have you gone on a date and not shared your belief because of fear of a consequence? How many times have you not told your spouse the whole truth because of the fear of the consequence? 
How many times have you gone into that friendship and tried to push it to the next level because you are longing for a deeper relationship and you wanted to tell that individual the whole truth of what you're seeing in their life to better them, but you leave that 10% out because of a fear of your own rejection? It's all fear-based, and it's all out of fear. So let's talk about how to live in God's love. How to live in God's love. There's three things for transformation in your relationships you're going to have to remember. One is surrender. One is remember. And the other is offer. Let me break those down. Surrender. Two years ago, my wife, three years ago, my wife got a word from the Lord, and it was surrender. And I'm like, oh, thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. They cannot say there's not a God. And, and so we go to the mailbox. Week there, and she pulls out a card from the mailbox. It's actually from Cotton Patch, and it says, Surrender to the Tender. And I'm like, Baby, I'm the Tender. <laughs> and she's like, Whatever, I'm not surrendering to you. But one, number one, every day, every day, surrender my heart to God. Surrender my heart to God. God, I don't know how this is going to work out. I'm just waking up. I don't know what this day looks like. I know it is in your hands, so I'm just going to go ahead and yield my heart. I know this stuff that I'm wrestling with. I know what's on my mind. I know what's wanting to get my attention right now. But, Lord, I just surrender all that stuff to you. Immediately when you wake up, surrender your heart to God. The closer you get to God, the more love will begin to fill your heart. But the further you get from God, the more disconnected, the more fear starts to enter into your heart. So if you're, if you're struggling with one of these issues of fear, you might want to check on the status, the condition, the spiritual health of your heart and its connection with God. Job 11, there's a message in this passage. Job 11, Job 11, 13 and 18 says, Surrender your heart to God. Turn to Him in prayer. And give up your sins, even those you do in secret. Even the ones you won't disclose to your spouse. Even the ones you won't disclose to your friends. Even the ones you won't disclose to your pastor. Surrender your heart. Then you won't be ashamed. You will be confident and fearless. Your troubles will go away like water beneath a bridge. And your darkest night will be brighter than noon. Then you'll rest safe and secure. Filled with hope and emptied of work. Man, that's a good message. There's three premises and nine promises to this one passage. A premise is something that I do. A promise is something that God fulfills. The premises are this. Surrender your heart to God. That's one. Surrender. I'm just going to surrender. Turn to Him in prayer. That's two. And then give up my sins. Sounds like hear, believe, and obey. I'm just going to turn away from my ways of doing life, and I'm going to turn towards yours. I'm going to communicate with you in prayer. I'm going to have communion with you in prayer. And I'm going to surrender. I'm going to yield my ways to your ways. And then the promises are this. I won't be ashamed. Uh, I'll be confident. I'll be fearless. My troubles will go away. Amen to that. My darkest night will be brighter than noon. I'll rest safe. I'll, have, I'll rest secure. I'll be filled with hope. My worry, it won't be there anymore. Those are nine promises in that one passage that I just gave you. And all I got to do is surrender. I got to turn to God in prayer. And I got to give up my sins. That is amazing. That's huge. It's a win-win. It's three for one. 
But every day I surrender my heart to God. Every day. Number two is this. Every day I remember the way God loves me. I'm going to rapid fire real quick. Because I'm completely accepted. You're completely accepted. It's important because our deepest hurts and our fears come from rejection. It does. You were born into this world rejected because of what Adam and Eve did. And you're, all your life, you're looking for accepting, acceptance. All your life, you're trying to overcome rejection. And that whole thing can only come through Christ. It can only come through understanding you have a father, a heavenly father, and he loves you deeply, and he loves you beyond any shame, any guilt, and any fear you may ever have. In accepting that truth. See, Titus 3.7 says this, Jesus made us acceptable to God. Jesus did this. Number, the next one, I'm unconditionally loved. You've got to remember that. Because conditional and inconsistent parents cause insecure children. And God is unconditional, and he is always consistent. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the thought of God, the thought that God doesn't love us, causes us to be fearful. Isaiah 54.10, my love for you will never end, says the Lord. Next is this, I'm totally forgiven. I'm totally forgiven. Romans 8.1, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Next one, I'm considered extremely valuable. You know what decides the value of something? The person that owns it and the price that someone is willing to pay for it. And God deems you so valuable, such a valuable asset to his kingdom that he sent his son to pay for your sins because he thought we can do a lot together. Remember, he created us for family, for relationship. And not only that, you would think, well, well, he just did that to his son. No, the son gave his life up for your sins so that you may have life. The wisdom of the son, Jesus Christ, said, you know what? I can do a lot, but I can do so much more through these guys. And that ought to wake somebody up with their destiny right now. 1 Corinthians 7.23 says, You've been bought and paid for by Christ's death. So remember the way God loves you. And number three is this, every day offer that same love to others. John 13.34 says this, I'm giving you a new commandment, love each other in the same way that I have loved you. Romans 15, 7 says, accept one another just as Christ has accepted you. And in fact, that's what our whole next step experience is about on the 13th and the 27th of September. We are here to equip you, to serve you so that you can love others the same way Christ has loved you. It's about dying to self so that you can walk in Christ and do these very same things that Christ did on the cross for you. 1 Corinthians 13, 7 says this, love never stops being patient. Love never stops believing. Love never stops hoping. Love never gives up. The real love does four things. Love extends grace. It never stops being patient. Love expresses faith. It never stops believing. Love expects the best. It never stops hoping. Love endures the worst. It never gives up. That is the love of God for you. And that is the healing antidote for you to walk in love in every relationship, in your marriage, in your friendships, so you can let go of the shame, so you're no longer distanced. It. You can let go of the fear, so you no longer feel rejected, and so that you no longer have to demand 
and you no longer feel like you have to have control. Love, the antidote for every one of your problems that started in the garden. Shame, blame, and fear. I want to do this with you. In the seat back in front of you, there's a communion cup. If you're on the front row down below you, there's a communion cup. And what I want to do with you today, when Paul wrote to the Corinthians, and he would talk to them about examining their lives, and that's what communion is about, it's, it's coming clean before the Lord and examining your life. He wants us to be in communion, in community. Remember, why did he create Adam? Why did he create humanity? Because he longed for family. And through Jesus, the bread and the wine, he gave us community. He wants to commune with you. He wants to talk to you about the deepest and the darkest hurts, the deepest senses of rejection, the deepest fears that you still carry, the reasons why you tend to blame. He wants to sit down and have a conversation because he's not a religious God. He's a relational God. So I want you to just think from this different perspective today. How's your relationship? Now get real. I don't want to hear that. I'm good. I'm an eight. Let's get real. It's not about me knowing. It's about him allowing you and listening as you come clean. Where are you hiding? Where are you at? He knows. He's just saying, man, just give it up. Just give it up. Come clean. So right there, as you hold the body, the bread of Jesus in your hand. Ooh, let me do a word search for relationships in my heart. Ooh, let me examine the relationships that are in my life. Ooh. Three, four, eight, nine, one, five. Ooh, got some work to do. I got a man up.
He is a mighty God. He is worthy to be praised. Let's worship like free people because you are free indeed. Let the king of my heart be the mountain where I run, the fountain I drink from. Oh, he is my song. Let the king of my heart the shadow where I hide, ransom for my life, oh, he is my song, you are good, good, oh, 
never chose me There's always been a mystery All my life I've been told I belong At the end of the line Will all the other not quite Will all the never get it right But it turns out they're the ones you were looking for all this time Cause I'm just a nobody Trying to tell everybody All about somebody Who saved my soul 